wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I'm back! Miss me? The Ultimate Warrior will run forever! Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio for November 25th, 2014. I'm your host, Graham Gison Matthews, and of course, we are not going live this week due to the Thanksgiving holiday. We are off on Thanksgiving break this week. I am not on campus, so we have the recording formats going here today, no live, but uh, we will be back to being live next Tuesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time, right on EC Radio Live 365.com backslash stations, backslash ECTV73. But in the meantime, though, today I'll be presenting my 30-minute candid conversation with my very good friend John, at JohnNapp17 on the Twitter. You can check him out on Twitter and all of his thoughts on next year wrestling and John's jargon, but, uh... We went to the Northeast Wrestling Indie event a couple of weeks ago here in Danbury, Connecticut. Um, had a great-ass time. It was really, really enjoyable. And on the way home from that show, as we were driving home to his house, um, we had a 30-minute candid conversation talking about WrestleMania 31. We talked about all things going on in WWE right now, our favorite years in wrestling. We get very candid with our conversation about all things WWE. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll be presenting it a little later on in the show. But uh, in the meantime, though, a huge week in wrestling. TNA announcing their new TV deal just last week. We talked about it on last week's show. I might get into that a little bit before we get into the conversation with John. But uh, in the meantime, though, we had Survivor Series on Sunday night, on the live on free in the WWE Network. The WWE debut of the Stinger, the man they call Sting. We had Dolph Ziggler as the sole survivor in the main event, and the authority is no more. Just so much going on right now in WWE. A huge night on Sunday. Followed up by a very underwhelming episode of Monday Night Raw. I might give my thoughts on that. But uh, I want to take this opportunity to give my full review of the Survivor Series show from this past Sunday night before getting into my bits and pieces and thoughts on Raw since it was, like I said before, really not all that notable. But uh, like I said before, Survivor Series this past Sunday night. Very exciting show from start to finish. Some people will say it was terrible. Some people will say it was good. I've heard other people say it was the greatest pay-per-view of the year. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I did think it was a very, very good pay-per-view, and I'll get my thoughts on it right here, right now. So kicking it off with the kickoff show, we had Fandango, the new and improved ball dancer, uh, now the salsa dancer, taking on Justin Gabriel. So like I said before, they were promoting this as the new and improved Fandango going into the kickoff show. I have never, anyone that's been following me for a long time knows that I've never really been a fan of Fandango. I appreciate the guy's work. I wasn't even a fan of his when he was Johnny Curtis. And uh, the whole creepy gimmick, if you remember that back in 2010, 2011, whenever it was, uh, that never really panned out all too well. I enjoyed some of his work on NXT. But uh, as Fandango, don't get me wrong, he's a great wrestler and all, but the gimmick itself does nothing for me. The only thing that was ever over about this guy was his entrance theme, and they changed that when they brought him back and repackaged him. Um, I was going to write an article about this for Bleacher Report not too long ago, but I never really got around to, and now there's no point. Um, in the article I was going to write on how Fandango, when he was going to be brought back to TV, 
because I believe before Sunday night, he hasn't been on WWE TV since maybe August or September, something crazy like that. And um, so I was going to petition for the fact that Fandango should be brought back as a completely new character. Strip the dancing thing, no pun intended. Um, but still, though, I thought he's he, he is capable of so much more than this stupid, stupid gimmick. And maybe people, maybe people enjoy it. I personally don't. Um, and it's just not getting over. People did not respond to it well on Sunday night or Monday night on Ron. I know things take time. But with Fandango, the character is dead in the water. It's damaged goods. There's nothing left that you could do with the character. They tried to push it last year in the whole feud with Chris Jericho, and it started out pretty well, and it got over the night after WrestleMania. But they killed it by trying to make it the quote-unquote cool thing to do with Michael Cole endorsing, and that's the kiss of death ultimately right there. And the character never really went anywhere, so... I'm not really happy, I mean, despite the new look, the new attire, new theme, new valet and Rosa Mendez, and God knows that she fucking needs to go. Uh, she's been with this company for over six years now on the main roster. I'm not even counting her time at FCW, if she was there at all. Um, a, a, an atrocious win-loss record. I mean, I, I know we've talked about it here on the show before. She's won all of one match in her six years with WWE against Layla on an episode of SmackDown a couple of years ago. Via disqualification, not even via pinfall. This lady has yet to win a match via pinfall. It's, it's atrocious That's that, that it's even the case. But uh, nevertheless, though, I think anyone associated with Rosa Mendes is doomed to fail. Fandango, I think, with this new gimmick, is doomed to fail anyway. So it's really a shame because I was hoping that he'd be brought back in a much more serious role. And here is hoping that they realize that there's really nothing more to the character and they can just completely repackage him the next time he comes back to TV. But that was that. Also in the kickoff show, we had Jack Swagger versus Cesaro. Um, it's very weird that Jack Swagger, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of people bring this up, and I also noticed this a couple of weeks ago, because Jack Swagger returned to the ring, let's, let's backtrack a little bit, because he was supposed to be originally on Team Cena, um, a couple of weeks ago, I think when they were in England, and he got taken out by Seth Rollins, a member of the uh, Team Authority, and, uh, of course, he would be later replaced by Ryback, Eric Rowan, whoever, so that never really panned out too well for, uh, for Jack Swagger, so he was taken off of Team Cena. But then again, before only mere days before Survivor Series, Jack Swagger comes back in a match against Bray Wyatt on main event last week, selling no injuries whatsoever. And I don't blame it on Jack Swagger. I more so blame it on the booking of his character, much like John Cena. Remember the uh, eight days removed from SummerSlam when he was taken out by Brock Lesnar and you know the 16 German suplexes? Remember that? And he came back showing no ill effects of the beating that he suffered at SummerSlam. Like, again, like I said before, I don't blame John Cena. I don't blame Jack Swagger. It's this fucking company for not acknowledging their own storylines. It makes no fucking sense. And so that really bothered me. But that aside, though, Swagger versus Cesaro, very good matchup. The two obviously have history. Zeb Coulter even mentioned that in the pre-match promo. They had a pretty good matchup. Um, not too long of a matchup. I mean, it was really weird that Ryback and Cesaro had, like, nearly an 11-minute match, maybe a 15-minute match last week on Raw, and then Swagger and Cesaro had maybe a three- or four-minute match, so that was kind of weird. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, when are they going to start pushing Cesaro? When do you see this burial stop? I mean, it's really hard to say. I said in this week's hashtag AskGSM video, but, uh, I mean, I, if there was any time to push him, I thought it would be in the fall, because Brock Lesnar left. I mean, even though he's a champion, Chris Jericho, Rob Van Dam, all these people taking time away from the company, 
And you would think in their spot, and not to mention Roman Reigns getting hurt, you would think in their spot you would start to push all these younger talents, including Cesaro. And I'm not saying they're not pushing younger talents. I mean, they've done, they've done an amazing job with Seth Rollins, with uh, Dean Ambrose, to an extent Bray Wyatt. They've kind of mishandled him in recent months, but uh, for the most part, they've done a pretty good job by Bray Wyatt. But uh, Cesaro is the rare exception, because I think uh, someone asked me in this week's hashtag, asked GSM video, um, I, I forgot to include it in this video, but it's going to be in next week's, in that who is the worst book superstar of 2014 by a country mile Cesaro? I mean, uh, words can't even describe how much they've mishandled this guy since WrestleMania. Coming off his huge victory at WrestleMania 30 in the Honor of the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, you know, being paired with Paul Heyman, that alliance bombed. And he really hasn't done anything of note since. He's just come up short in match after match after match. Not even only in matches, but in championship matches, too. He's lost countless shots at the Intercontinental and United States Championships, respectively. And it's it's ridiculous you're not doing more with this guy. So hopefully they can uh, do right by him as time progresses. But I just don't have much hope. But uh, yeah, good match from Swagger and Cesaro. It made no sense that Swagger was not on Team Cena, considering the fact that uh, he was 100% on this show and... You know, logically, they could say, oh, he could have been on Team Cena, but maybe they already had a full team. I don't fucking know. They never even bothered to explain it, but uh, that was a bit annoying, but good match from those two. Kicking off the show, we had Mr. McMahon making his return to pay-per-view. I think probably for the first time since... Because I don't know if he was on SummerSlam, because I know he had a, you know, a key role in WWE in the summer of 2013, right before the Authority officially formed. I don't know if he was at SummerSlam, so I can't honestly tell you the last pay-per-view that Vince McMahon was on. And um, so it was great to see Mr. McMahon kick off the show, adding an extra stipulation to the main event in that if Team Authority were to lose, that they would be completely out of power because Stephanie McMahon was making the case that, okay, we won't be running SmackDown and Raw anymore, but back at the headquarters, we will still have creative control over the shows, over the programming. And Vince McMahon said, no, 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 that will not be the case. You will only have desk jobs. You will have no influence over the product whatsoever. So that is that, setting that straight. A lot of questions surrounding that from a lot of fans coming into the show, so I was glad they addressed that. It could have been a segment they could have done on Raw this past week, or last week, I should say. Um, so I'm surprised they, they did not do that instead of saving it for the pay-per-view. I've seen a lot of people get pissed at the fact this promo kicked off the show. I didn't have a major problem with it. I know we see, we, we see enough of the authority kicking off Raw every single week, a, um, a big complaint from this fan specifically. But, uh, I mean, it's Mr. McMahon. Who fucking doesn't love Mr. Mr. Effin McMahon? I love the guy. So uh, I was fine with him kicking off the show and addressing this. Yes, it could have been something that we could have seen on Raw a week ago, but it wasn't a big deal. I know they needed to kill time. They killed it with this 15-minute promo to kick off the show. So, like I said, did not have a huge deal. It did not have a huge problem with this segment. Up next, a fatal four-way contest to determine the WWE Tag Team Champions. We have the current or reigning Tag Team Champions, Golden Stardust, defending against the Usos, Los Methodores, and The Miz and Damian Mizdow. The match itself I thought was good. It was not great. I didn't, I didn't think it was as good as I thought it was originally going to be. But uh, for what it was, though, I thought it was an enjoyable contest. The early work was pretty good. Um, there just wasn't any excitement until the end, and... Um, you know, all the finishing sequences, all the stuff that you're bound to see in a multi-team tag team matchup. So, I mean, it basically was what it was. Didn't love it, but I thought it was a fine opener. Coming out victorious, though, was the Miz and Damian Mizdow as the new WWE Tag Team Champions, a move that I love. Um, I originally had my money on Goldust and Stardust going over. Thankfully, that did not come to fruition. I mean, I like Goldust and Stardust, um, but... 
I mean, I like him better as heels. I mean, I think the gimmick as a face does not work. As Stardust was so freaking weird. I never liked the Stardust character, and I still don't. But at least it's a little bit more tolerable as heels. But um, even still, though, they, ne they never really did anything for me as tag team champions. Um, they lost a lot of matches. Maybe Miz and Mizdell will do the same thing. But at least I know Miz and Mizdell will be entertaining every single time they're in the ring, as seen this past week on Raw when uh, Mizdow was doing most of the selling for his team, and Mizdow was so great. I mean, I saw an, an on-site report for the uh, Survivor Series pay-per-view from someone that was there, and they said that Mizdow was almost as over as Sting. Next to Sting, Mizdow was the most over guy in the entire show, which is amazing. And it just goes to show, because, I mean, a year ago, this guy was Mr. Money in the Bank, and fast forward a year later, they're not doing anything with this guy, and he's made the most of this gimmick that otherwise would have gone nowhere in the role of a stunt double for The Miz, who I also believe deserves credit for this gimmick. I know a lot of people don't want to admit it. A lot of people don't like The Miz. I understand that. Maybe I'm biased because I am a Miz fit. But um, I think Miz is doing a great job in his current role. I mean, he does not mean, need to be a main event star. I think he's at the place he should be at. He's better than being a jobber and going out there doing nothing. I mean, I remember a year ago when he was a babyface and they did absolutely nothing with the character and, you know, all that kind of shit, which I never really appreciated. And I still, to this day, think they could have done more with Miz as a babyface. But nevertheless, though, um, it, it is great to see him in a substantial role on TV as tag team champions. He's been doing the best work of his career, in my opinion, since earlier this year when he returned on the episode of Raw that I went to in Hartford in June. So um, I think the whole Miz down, Miz dynamic is awesome, no pun intended, and here's hoping they can continue it with this tag team title reign and they don't break them up prematurely. And um, I do hope that this reign as tag team champions, once it ends, they can go on to feed with each other going into WrestleMania maybe. I think that could be a great undercard matchup. And then maybe you could turn Miz Dow or Sandow babyface and do that whole thing. I think it's great. I really, really enjoy it. On the topic of Golden Stardust, I'm hoping that now that they have lost the tag team championships, Goldust can. I, and I petitioned this on uh, Twitter this past week during Survivor Series, I think it was, that uh, Goldust should, should turn on Stardust and uh, take Stardust off TV for a few weeks or for a few months. You repackage him as none other than Cody Rhodes. Bring him back in the Royal Rumble matchup. Because, I mean, if you think about it, Stardust can't come back as Goldust. Or, I'm sorry, can't come back as Cody Rhodes the very next week. He needs to grow his hair back out because I think, I think he shaved it for this whole gimmick. So, you know, you give him a few months to grow his hair back. You bring him back in the Royal Rumble matchup, which I did think he, uh, he teased in a Twitter post not too long ago that Cody Rhodes could make a return in the Rumble match this year, which could be great. Not only that, maybe you have Stardust get eliminated and you bring back out Cody Rhodes. I mean, any way you look at it, it could be awesome. But uh, there's a lot of possibilities there. But I'm really hoping that they have Goldust, you know, be the heel in this feud. I'm really hoping that we still get this Cody and Goldust feud. You have Goldust turn on Cody. Cody comes back in the Rumble as himself. And you build that match at WrestleMania. I know I've been petitioning for this matchup at WrestleMania for the last three or four years now. I thought we were going to see it 28, 29, and 30. We didn't. And now there's no more perfect time than now to see it at WrestleMania 31, considering the fact they're still in a tag team. Moving on here, we had a uh, traditional four-on-four -four Survivor Series elimination match with the Divas, Team Natalia. It was Natalia, Alicia Fox. We also had on that team Emma and Naomi, defeating the team of Paige, Cameron... Who else was on that team? Paige, Cameron... I can't even fucking remember who was on that team. Whatever the team was, <laughs> I can't even remember what it was. Oh, it was Layla L. and Summer Rae. Summer Rae, Layla, Cameron, and Paige getting defeated by the team of Natalia, Alicia Fox, Naomi, and Emma. Um, the match itself was good. I mean, it ate up a lot of time, and I saw some people complaining about that, but 
I mean, they were really trying to kill time on this show, and they did. The main event went almost an hour. Um, that took up the entire final hour of the show. It started at 10 and almost ended almost exactly at 11. So um, they needed to kill the first two hours of this show. They didn't announce many matches for the show, remember, so they needed to add a few matches at the last minute. So I was fine with this eating up 15 minutes. It wasn't bad at all. They got Cameron out of there, the worst worker of them all. She was the first one eliminated, so they let the better workers do the uh, entering work for the most of the matchup. And Paige, it was a four-on-one situation. They get her eliminated. Team Natalia, a clean sweep for their team. So um, a nice matchup. I really didn't have any problem with it. It wasn't meaningful in any way. They didn't follow it up the next week on or the, ne- the next night on Raw by doing anything you know memorable or whatever. It was just a filler matchup, and if nothing else, it was great to see Emma um, not only win, not only have her team win, but to pick up an elimination. I think it might have been over Summer Ray, Summer Ray or Layla. I think it might have been Summer. Um, so that was cool to see using the Emma lock, and I think they've like Cesaro as you know from the Divas division as a male superstar. I think Cesaro is the most underutilized superstar this year. But in terms of the Divas, I think Emma has been the most underutilized Diva since the start of 2014, since being called up. So it was great to see her make the pay-per-view and get elimination over Summer Rae. So we had that. Up next, we had Bray Wyatt versus Dean Ambrose. A lot of mixed feelings on this matchup. I thought this matchup was pretty good. I thought this was a very, very good matchup from Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose. Because remember, prior to this, we haven't seen much of them in singles competition. I believe they had a... One-on-one matchup earlier this year on SmackDown. I think it was a Money in the Bank qualifying matchup. So on this show, it was their second-ever encounter in singles competition. I thought it was a great matchup while, it's, while, while it lasted. Um, wasn't given too much time, but in the match, in the time they were allotted, I thought it was very, very good. If only for the in-ring psychology and a lot of the brawling, which we expected going in. And um, I had no problem with the finish. I know some people say that, uh, you know, it made no sense for the babyface to get the better of the heel and whatever else. I really didn't have any any real problem with it. I mean, maybe if it was John Cena, it'd be weird. But Dean Ambrose has been has been you know portrayed as a crazy character, so it kind of fit in with the context of the character and the matchup. So, like I said, both on Twitter and earlier in the show, I really didn't have a problem with this contest, if only because you couldn't have had either guy go over here. We talked about this last week on Russell Rant Radio and a couple of weeks ago when this feud first started, in that both guys desperately need wins right now. More so Bray Wyatt than Dean Ambrose. So Bray Wyatt technically won the match here via disqualification when Dean Ambrose attacked him with a chair. Um, but Bray Wyatt, I think, needs more of a win. Some people say Ambrose needs more of a win than Wyatt. I think it's the other way around. Dean Ambrose is so over right now that I think he can sustain the loss. He's more of an... He's not a Daniel Bryan or like a Bailey-like character. I know those are com- two completely different characters, and one's on NXT as a rookie, one's the former WWE World Heavyweight Champion, but... Or Sami Zayn, I guess I should make that comparison. Bryan and Zayn are like the underdog characters that they can lose countless times and still be freaking over. Dean Ambrose is not exactly like that, but I still think he, he fits that role um, quite well and that he can lose a lot of matches and still be over. I'm not petitioning that he lose all of his matches, but I do think that, uh, you know, this loss will not kill the character like it would have for Wyatt if Ambrose went over here. And Ambrose did not kill the Wyatt character or bury him, as Michael Cole said on commentary. I know he didn't use it in that use of the word in that in that context, um, but he did, he still said that, uh, he, he still said on commentary that Dean Ambrose buried Bray Wyatt with all the steel chairs and the tables and the ladders, whatever. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. But uh, still, though, I thought this was a very good matchup. Had no problem with the finish. Built well towards the TLC matchup at uh, at TLC next month, which I also thought was great that they announced it on this show and didn't wait until Raw the next night. 
because I'm a huge advocate of WWE announcing pay-per-view matches in advance. Not only three weeks in advance on Raw, but uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen a matchup on pay-per-view announced for the next pay-per-view on the same pay-per-view, aside from maybe, aside from maybe being a number one contenders match or something like that. So uh, that was really interesting. But uh, yeah, very good matchup. Had no problem with the finish. Enjoyable stuff. And uh, set up their TLC matchup very nicely. So I very much look forward to that matchup. And it could be a barn burner of a bout if it is booked properly and given enough time at the pay-per-view. So up next, we had Adam Rose in the Bunny versus Slater Gator, which a, a match that was set up earlier in the night via a backstage segment. Really didn't care for this shit at all. We saw this next round of Raw with uh, Tyson Kidd and Natalya. How many times are we going to see the same matches with the same guys? Like, move along already. They've been teasing this Adam Rose heel turn for a month now. Move along. Establish the next chapter in this thing. And by next chapter, I don't mean the bunny dry-humping Adam Rose. Like, this stupid shit that makes no sense. Um, so I'm really hoping they can get to the next chapter in this feud or this storyline, this angle with uh, Adam Rose and the bunny. Reveal who the fucking bunny is. And I thought about this when they said it on the pay-per-view, but uh, in that backstage segment, Adam Rose made mention of the fact that the bunny was found. And, you know, he used to do kid parties and stuff like that. And then he brought him in to be a part of the Rosebuds. So they're giving the bunny a backstage, uh, a background, you know, uh, like a backstory, I should say. So that's interesting, I guess, but uh, I, the only issue that I see with that is that if Adam Rose found this guy doing kids' parties and stuff like that, then you can't really reveal the bunny to be, like, an active member of the roster, unless it's someone that we haven't seen in a while. Maybe Darren Young, but even then, like, why would he... If he was injured, because remember, Darren Young got out with an injury, and it's been rumored that he might be the bunny when he comes back. Why would Darren Young come down with an injury than, you know, go do kids' parties? You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, um, it would have to be someone that, uh... That, that, that we haven't seen before. It has to be a new wrestler or something like that. And I don't want to see Sami Zayn. Please do not see Sami Zayn. Um, I, I do not want to see Sami Zayn in that role. And it has been rumored that he's been playing the bunny. Does not necessarily mean he will be the bunny. Um, same thing with Justin Gabriel. That would make no sense either. So it has to be some sort of new wrestler. Maybe from NXT. Maybe a completely new developmental guy that we haven't seen yet. I have no idea. Um, but bottom line is that they need to get the next chapter in this story. Otherwise... People will just stop caring. People have already stopped caring if they ever care to begin with. But um, as a fan of the Rosebud character, as as a Rosebud myself, I really want to see them get to the next chapter in this story to uh, you know to further it. Because right now it's the same shit every single week, losing match after match after match. And Tyson Kidd should not be involved in this shit either. Um, he deserves so much better than this. So hopefully we can get to the next chapter in this story relatively soon. So up next for the Divas Championship, funny story here, because the Divas made their entrance, because by this point in the show, I really had to pee, and I, I didn't want to go during the Adam Rose and Bunny match, because I had a feeling that I would miss the revealing, or the unveiling of who was in the Bunny costume, so um, I didn't go then, and, I, and obviously uh, that was a, a mistake, so I probably should have, because they did nothing with the Adam Rose and Bunny shit, and I knew that match was not going to last long, so I figured the match, the Divas match, is probably going to go maybe five or ten minutes, so I'll go, just go, I mean, I saw the entrances, then I left, and I came back, and it was commercial, so I'm thinking, okay, they go to commercial before the match, or whatever, and they were on commentary, and I guess the match, the match happened, it started and ended, in the time that I was gone, going to the bathroom for all of 60 seconds, it was crazy, so I come back, and I ask you guys on Twitter what happened, and uh, apparently, AJ Lee got kissed by Brie Bella at ringside, Nikki Bella capitalized on that, hit the rack attack for the 1-2-3, new Divas champion, the match lasted all of maybe 15 seconds, kind of, you know, uh, a reminisce, reminiscent of the Daniel Bryan and Sheamus thing from WrestleMania 28 when 
AJ Lee distracted Daniel Bryan, the fiance or the husband, I guess I should say, of Brie Bella, and uh, cost him the World Heavyweight Championship against Sheamus at that event two and a half years ago. So why they kind of drew it back to that, I really don't really have much of an idea. But uh, it was interesting though. I saw a lot of people jump to conclusions saying, "Oh, why did they bury AJ Lee? She's out of her. She's out of, on her way out of the company. This is it. Goodbye, AJ. Thank you, AJ. Uh, a complete burial of AJ." I didn't really see it as that at all. If anything, I saw it as time constraints. Because, uh, like I said before, the main event, the, the main event of the evening, the the five on five traditional tag team match between Team Cena and Team Authority, that went almost the full hour. They didn't go off the air until ten fifty nine. I cannot remember the last time that was the case. And I know they can go overtime on the network, but they're still airing on pay per view. And I know you can't go past eleven o'clock on pay per view, so um, they had to go off on time. So. They probably knew, I mean, I guess they found out that, I read a report that they found out that the match would be as short as it was, only mere minutes before they went out, and I'm sure AJ Lee, being as vocal as she is, was probably not happy about that. But still, though, I really did not have a problem with this, especially if they continue the feud, and they did do it the next round on Raw, um, the, the feud is being furthered going to TLC. I don't know if we see a triple threat match with Nikki, Brie, and AJ at the next pay-per-view. Because a lot of people have been asking if Brie is you know, full-on heel. Because we predicted that last week on WrestleRant Radio, specifically RJ. We pointed out the possibility that Brie could turn on uh, AJ here and reunite with her sister. Now that looks like what could have happened, and that's still the route they could take. She was all smiles after the match, and on Ra- also on Monday's Raw. But um, what I'm thinking is that they're probably going to have Brie, because the 30-day suspension thing or the, the thing as, as her assistant wraps up either today or tomorrow or something like that, sometime this week. You know, realistically speaking, I think it would wrap up today on Tuesday the 25th, because by that point it would be 30 days. Sunday was 28th, even though they were saying that was day 29. I'm not really sure. But um, still, though, what I'm thinking is that Brie is going to get on Nikki's good side, completely fool her by acting like she's her best friend, turn on her, go back to being a babyface at some point within the near future, and then, you know, do that feud um, over the Davis Championship, going into the Royal Rumble, or whatever. Um, I don't think they'll rush into Brie versus Nikki at TLC. I mean, I really don't care for the feud. I think it's better off now than it was a couple months ago when they were doing the the Jerry Springer shit. Like, that was god-awful. And it's still not great now, but at least it's better. And I think Nikki Bella, and I really don't have any problem with her being Divas Champion, if only because she has worked tremendously hard over the last year and a half to get better, as has Brie. But I think the full package, no pun intended, has to go to Nikki Bella in that she has great mic skills. She's really honed her character as a heel. She has uh, definitely improved her in-ring game. So I personally really have no problem with Nikki Bella winning the championship here. She is the focal point of the Divas division. And say what you will about Nikki, but AJ Lee is really the one without a character. She's attacking faces, she's attacking heels, she's leaving her partner hanging high and dry on the apron. Um, Emma, a couple of weeks ago, if you remember that, so she's kind of a tweener character, and I mean, she'll, she'll always have her fan base, she'll always be over, but uh, it's just really hard to connect with the AJ character and feel bad for her or feel sympathetic towards her character if she's being bullied by the Bellas. If she also comes off as unlikable, so it really makes no sense. So, like I said before, I really have no problem with Nikki Bella being the new Divas champion. I look forward to seeing where they go with the new Bella storyline, the new twist on it, um, with Brie potentially being healed. We'll find out for sure in a couple more weeks. I still think it's a ruse. We'll find out. But um, I look forward to, where, to seeing where that goes going to TLC in a couple weeks. 
So we get to the main event, Team Cena versus Team Authority. Really enjoyed the pre-match video package, by the way. I thought that was great. Um, I saw the main event last week. They aired it a couple times before the pay-per-view on the network. Awesome video package. Probably up there with my favorite video packages up the uh, of the year, along with the uh, Daniel Bryan and Triple H one, the Monster one by Imagine Dragons right before WrestleMania 30, and also WrestleMania 30, the John Cena and Bray Wyatt one, which I also thought, which I also thought was fantastic. But um, anyway, though the match itself. We'll go on elimination basis here. The first elimination went to Mark Henry. Um, Bell was wrong. You obviously knew where this was going. He was talking it up with the authority. They got a shot where you didn't see Team Cena. So you knew where this was going, where he was going to get knocked out immediately. And even though Show would turn heel a little later on in the matchup, I really didn't have a problem with this, if only because Mark Henry and Big Show had their established issues. So it makes sense for him to be the one to eliminate Mark Henry. If As long as they don't reunite within the near future now that Big Show is heel, I'm completely content with this, but here's hoping we can, uh, yeah, we can keep the, you know, stay par for the course with this heel turn, and they don't completely forget their own storyline by having them reunite. I don't think they will, but still does. So I had no problem with that. What I did have a problem with was Ryback being the first one eliminated for his team, and it's not only the fact that I'm a fan of Ryback, it's just from a storyline standpoint, it made absolutely no fucking sense in that they built the last two weeks of TV, maybe even three weeks of TV, um, building up Ryback as what team are they going to have him join? Team Cena, Team Authority, and he would switch back and forth. Team Ryback. So he was the focal point of TV, both Raw and SmackDown, for a solid two weeks. So for him to be the first one eliminated for his team made really no sense to me. Now, I know someone pointed out to me on Twitter on Sunday when I expressed my uh, frustration for that, in that, yes, it was a surprise. We didn't see it coming. We didn't see the big show heel turn coming. But in both cases, was it really a good idea to do it? I mean, I'll talk about the Big Show heel turn in a minute, but just because it was, you know, out of the ordinary, doesn't make, doesn't make, just because it was a swerve, just because it was a surprise, doesn't make it good. And I know some people aren't condoning that as a good action just because it was a surprise. I'm not calling that out, those people out whatsoever. I'm just saying, yeah, sure, it was a shocker, but that doesn't mean it was good. And much rather go predictable and logical than surprising and illogical. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to say Ryback is dead in the water now just because he was eliminated first from the team. I just thought it was really, really confusing why they had him eliminated before anyone else, like that, like before Eric Rowan. Really, like, come on, seriously, that was really stupid. So, um, here's hoping they can kind of rectify that by continuing to build up Ryback going forward because I didn't, I wasn't really a fan of the fact that he was eliminated so early in the matchup. But Rusev was also taken out by Dolph Ziggler um, after Rusev did a running splash on the commentating table, broke the table, Ziggler made it in for the 10 count um, before the 10 count was up. So Rusev was eliminated via count out, had no problem with that, logical, solid booking to ensure that his first pinfall or submission loss does not come at the hands of anyone on Team Cena, so that was great. Um, so Rusev was eliminated there. Uh, so it's 5-on-3. Who else was eliminated? Or 4-on-3. Eric Rowan was taken out by Luke Harper, I think it was. And it looks like, based off Monday's Raw, that we're going to be getting a Big Show Eric Rowan feud. I could not fucking care less about another heel turn for the Big Show. I mean, he's one of those guys. He is one of those fucking guys that I could not care less. And it's really, really... Well, he is one of those guys that I could not... If he's face or heel, it really does not matter to me. Um, like Mark Henry, like he works better as a heel, so I had no problem with him going heel. For a lot of people, I would say, oh, he works better as a face, he works better as a heel, so I don't have a problem with them turning this guy. For Big Show, I just don't fucking care, and I know I'm not the only one who thinks this, because they've turned this guy, and I counted it, like, not too long ago. 
They've turned this guy in WWE close to fucking 25 times, something ridiculous, over the course of his 15-year career. That's amazing how many times. It's like a new world record. But, um... I mean, I know there was a possibility of someone from Team Cena turning. And on the positive side, I'm glad it wasn't Dolph Ziggler like a lot of people thought it would be. He's too over, and I've said, <clears throat> I've said this before. He's too over as a babyface. He has that crowd connection. Don't fuck that up by turning him heel. And um, so I'm glad they didn't go that route, and they did something much better with Ziggler instead, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, but Big Show, really? And I can almost, I can almost guarantee you that that spot was reserved for Sheamus. But Sheamus, who I guess has come down with a legitimate injury, um, he tweeted a picture of himself last week in the hospital bed. So I guess he is really injured. Uh, so that sucks. And I'm not a Sheamus fan. I mean, technically I am because I got him in my Rare Rumble game earlier this year and getting number 17, the number that he came out and, the, and then that he came out and uh, that he entered in that match. But still, though, um, I really, really, really want to see them turn Sheamus heel. And that could have been the perfect spot for that to happen. Whether he joins the Authority or not, technically he can't anyway, because the Authority's over. But um, regardless, though, I would have really loved to see Sheamus go heel here. Did not show up, so I guess he really is injured, so that sucks. Um, but still, though, a Big Show heel turn does nothing for me. But going back to the point that I was originally making, they started up a Big Show Eric Rowan feud the next night on Raw. And I'm not the biggest Eric Rowan fan. He's not all that great in the ring. He's okay. Um, but I can at least get behind a Big Show versus Eric Rowan feud over a John Cena Big Show feud, which I was very afraid they were going to do on Sunday night when Big Show eliminated John Cena by knocking him out when Seth Rollins got the 1-2-3. That was great. I thought John Cena being eliminated that early I thought was awesome. They could have easily switched the roles of John Cena and Dolph Ziggler in having him get eliminated early and having John Cena being the sole survivor, but I was very happy that was not the case. So that being said... Um, Big Show Eric Rowan, I think, is a better fit than um, than Big Show John Cena for the millionth fucking time. So I'm glad we got that match over uh, John Cena Big Show. Eric Rowan Big Show over John Cena Big Show. So we move forward from there. Dolph Ziggler is the sole survivor for his team, taking on the members of Team Authority and Luke Harper, Kane, and Seth Rollins. Three-on-one situation. He gets rid of Kane. He rolls up... <clears throat> He rolls up Luke Harper for the 1-2-3. So good, solid booking of the Luke Harper character to protect him. So it comes down to Rollins and Ziggler. So much overbooking here, so much interference, but I had no problem with it whatsoever. They had the, the crowd in the palm of their hands with all, all the Triple H interference, all that great stuff. I thought it was awesome. Yes, it was something that we could see in TNA. Yes, it was something we could see in WCW. But hopefully it puts an end to the shenanigans of the authority area going of the authority era going forward. But um, still, though, I thought this was awesome. And then Dolph Ziggler had Seth Rollins down for the 1-2-3. Triple H comes in, takes out the referee, pedigrees Dolph Ziggler, puts Seth Rollins' hand over Dolph Ziggler, um, calls out for a ref. Out comes Scott Armstrong. And I thought this was awesome. I haven't seen a lot of people rave about this. But remember, it was a year and a half ago, around the start of the authority, that Seth, uh, that Seth Rollins, that Scott Armstrong was used as the one to screw over Daniel Bryan out of the WWE Championship at Night of Champions last year, if you can remember that. And he was also brought out at Battleground when they did that whole thing. Remember, he was also brought out at WrestleMania um, to almost cost Daniel Bryan the WWE Championship in um, in the main event of WrestleMania this year. So a lot of good storyline consistencies here with the, with the authority stuff. 
a good final, um, you know, blow off to the Authority era by having Scott Armstrong come out. So I thought that was very good. Um, for all the shit that WWE gets, like I said earlier, with all the storyline inconsistencies and all the flaws that they have in their angles and stuff like that, at least they did this right in bringing out Scott Armstrong. So I thought that was cool. So before he can count the one, two, three, Sting music hits. Um, Sting comes out. The debut of Sting, the first ever appearance for Sting on a WWE show. He comes out. A uh, stare down between Triple H and Sting. I mean, some people have said it dragged on a little too long. I didn't have a big problem with it. It could have been cut short by maybe 10 or 15 seconds, but it was okay. Um, so a good stare down, that epic feel that people really wanted to see these two finally go at it. Maybe not as much as Sting and Undertaker, which which is where still the money is at, but I'll get to that in a minute. So Sting comes out, stare down with Triple H. Triple H goes for a clothesline, misses. Sting hits the Scorpion Death Drop on the game. Push Dolph Ziggler over Seth Rollins. Referee counts 1, 2, 3. Huge pop. Um, and the authority is over with Team Cena emerging victorious. Dolph Ziggler, uh, Dolph Ziggler as his sole survivor. So a lot to dissect here. I'll talk about Sting's debut first. Well, fucking wow. I thought that was amazing. Easily one of the better moments of 2014. Probably the single best moment of 2014. The best epic conclusion. The, the best conclusion to a WWE pay-per-view. Probably since WrestleMania, uh, WrestleMania 30 early, earlier this year. But um, there were rumors of Sting's debut earlier on in the weekend. I think it broke on Friday. Um, and I saw in the headline, top names scheduled to make WWE debut at Survivor Series. I didn't read the reports. I didn't uh, I didn't look up on it and read up on it at all. Even though I had a hunch on who it was, you know, how many people can make their debut in WWE that's a top name other than maybe a Kevin Steen or something, which I knew they weren't going to do because he's debuting at TakeOver in a few weeks, which I'm also very much looking forward to. But uh, even still, though, I kind of had a hunch who it was. People were asking about it all night. So even though it wasn't a complete shocker that Sting showed up in the capacity that he did, because I went back and looked at the reports, which I did not read the first time they were out, but um, there were some reports that Sting was going to be I'm um, involved in a segment on the show where he calls out The Undertaker, and I'm so glad they did not do that. I think the the way, the manner that they brought him out with the music and the main event at the end of the show, nothing was going to fucking top Sting's debut, so I'm so glad they saved it until the end, and uh, as opposed to doing after the Divas match or something dumb like that, because uh, people would not have cared about the rest of the show if that was the case. So the way they handled it, I thought was great. So Sting is in WWE, finally, massive reaction. There was a fan video on YouTube that someone took at the event, which I thought was amazing. It gave me chills, and um, so that, that was great. And I think that was taken down shortly thereafter, so fuck WWE for taking that down, because I thought it was awesome. But um, still, though, I thought that was an awesome moment. Sting is now in WWE. So what do you do with Sting now that he's in the company? So now, I mean, it's been made clear since then that an authority figure will be instituted on Raw every week for a temporary, uh, for the time being, until they can find someone permanent, because I'm, I'm guessing Creative still has no idea who they're going to do in the long term, so they're going to do this for the meantime, so I don't really have much of a problem with that, But um, because we got Daniel Bryan on Monday night, which was really cool to see him back, the authority, we have the anonymous Raw general manager next week, hated that fucking laptop, we're getting back next week, even though it was already revealed to be Hornswoggle, so hopefully they can address that, but um, anyway, so... Uh, what do you do with Sting? I do not want to see him as a new authority figure. I have addressed this before in my reviews and hashtag AskGSM. Um, there's really no need for Sting to be an authority figure, and I don't think that's the plan anyway, so no problems there. He was an authority figure over in TNA. He was watered down. He was overexposed. and I'm, not, I'm very, very glad that's not going to be the case with Sting. With Sting, you need to keep him off TV as much as possible, make him have 
you know, make him show up every once in a while. They didn't really address it all that much on Monday, as a, aside from Triple H's opening promo. And they kicked off the, the show with footage of Sting's debut. So aside from that, they didn't really go overboard with it, which is probably for the better, um, as opposed to shoving it down our throats. But, uh, yeah, what do you do with Sting now? I mean, it's apparent that he's going to be apparently facing Triple H at WrestleMania 31, which I have no problem with, and it, it, it appears that Undertaker will not be able to go at WrestleMania. That is yet to be confirmed. I mean, I'm hoping they address the situation that if Sting versus Triple H does happen at WrestleMania, it's a one-match deal. To my belief, they are only doing one match with Sting. I've since, re- I've, I've since read reports that indicate that we might get Sting versus Undertaker and Sting versus Triple H and that we might get a few matches from Sting. I mean, I'd be completely content with one match from Sting, and I mean, I marked the hell out when he made his return on Sunday. I thought it made for an awesome moment, so they should not water that down by having him show up every week on Raw. But uh, going back to what I said before, in that if Sting versus Triple H is the plan for WrestleMania 31, I have no problem with it whatsoever, as long as they continue to build it uh, properly and you know do it in small doses going up to WrestleMania, because WrestleMania is still four or five months away, so we still got plenty of time before then to see more of Sting and stuff like that. You don't need to rush into it, into it, into that feud immediately, so I have no problem with that. But um, still, though, I, I look forward to Sting in WWE. Very glad to see him finally make his debut after all this time, after the rumors of him came, coming over, um, you know, first started up in 2011, you know, first started up after WrestleMania this year when he said <laughs> 31 was his favorite number, which got a lot of people talking. A lot of people thought he would show up at WrestleMania on the night after, and all this other stuff when the video game came out, and, you know, all this stuff finally building up up to this point in a shocking manner. I'm glad they didn't advertise it. The way they did it was awesome. And I'm very much looking forward to Sting's first WWE match, whether it be at Royal Rumble or WrestleMania, whenever it may be, I'm still very much looking forward to it, regardless of whether who it's against. If we don't get Sting versus Undertaker, it's not the end of the world. That's still my preferable dream match. And I don't want to hear that it's going to be a shitty match, because who cares if it's going to be a shitty match? It's all about the build-up, the promos, the vignettes, the character, the entering psychology between these two guys. That's what's going to sell the pay-per-view, not the fucking fact that it's going to be a five-star classic. Lesnar versus Undertaker was not a good fit, because we've seen it before. At least Sting versus Undertaker is one of the most anticipated matches, if not the most anticipated match, in WWE in wrestling history. So, if we get that match, I'd be super happy about it. Would not care about the in-ring work whatsoever. But if we don't get it, like I said before, it's not the end of the world, and uh, we could still get a solid match out of Triple H and Sting. But... Nevertheless, though, that was the end of Survivor Series on Sunday night, and props to Dolph Ziggler for emerging victorious as the sole survivor um, came off as a major star on Sunday night. And um, say what you will about the next night's Raw, I'm not going to completely lose faith in WWE for having an underwhelming show. The post-Raw, the, the, the post-Survivor Series Raws are never always that good. Um, you know, I have this, you know, history, you know, I have the, the memory of all these other Raws, and they've never really been all that great. So I can't say I'm surprised, so I'm not going to completely lose faith going into the next couple of weeks. And we always see this, too. After a hot show, we always get these shit Raws. It's always the fucking case, so I don't want to see anyone complain. Aside from WrestleMania 30, I can't think of a really hot show where we had an excellent Raw the next night. Um, SummerSlam this year... The next night's Raw was not really all that great. Money in the Bank 2011, one of the arguably one of the best pay-per-views in modern WWE history, if not of all time. The next night's Raw was boring as all shit, and the only thing we got out of that Raw was the return of Triple H. Much like last night, there was nothing really about that Raw that was really all that notable. 
And we had the return of former WWE World Heavyweight Champion Daniel Bryan, who was rumored to be there beforehand. I did not read the dirt sheet, so it came off as a legitimate surprise to me. So that was great to see. Really happy to see Daniel Bryan back in WWE, if, if only for one night only. But um, still, though, it was awesome to see Daniel Bryan. And uh, the stuff with the interim general managers, I think, is pretty cool. I really don't care to see the, the laptop back. I always hated that gimmick, like I said before. But um, if we can get an Eric Bischoff appearance out of it, um, I don't know if he's still under contract at TNA. I heard someone say that he is, uh, but I th- I thought his contract expired earlier this year, but I really have no idea. He really hasn't addressed it at all. But uh, still, though, if we can get Eric Bischoff appearance out of it, maybe a William Regal, maybe a Mike Adamley. Some people have said John Laurinaitis. I really don't care for him at all. But um, I wouldn't have the I wouldn't really have a huge problem with them uh, bringing back John Laurinaitis for one night only. But um, still, though, very good episode, very excellent edition of Survivor Series on Monday night. Raw, not so much, but like I said before, I'm still highly anticipating the TLC pay-per-view in a few weeks, and I assume we're going to be getting the return of Randy Orton sooner rather than later and all this other stuff. So, um, still, though, really enjoyed Survivor Series on Sunday night, and um, if you're not signed up for the WWE Network, and here's the thing, too. Non-wrestling fans, and they did a very good job of, you know, intriguing fans, wrestling fans or not. I mean, if you're not a wrestling fan, then why would you be watching Raw? But regardless, though, if you're not a hardcore fan, I guess, um, and buying the pay-per-view, my non-wrestling fan roommate, Connor, um, who I'm hopefully going to have on a couple weeks to talk about the TLC pay-per-view, because we watched the pay-per-views together, with with the exception of Sunday night, because I was not obviously on campus. I haven't seen him since Friday. I'll see him next week. Um, but we'll ho- probably watch the TLC pay-per-view together in my dorm, so I'll get his casual casual fan thoughts on that. Casual Connor is my nickname for him, but still, though, um, even he, in watching Raw all these weeks and being highly intrigued by the main event, was you know, he was intrigued enough to the point where he was going to download the WWE Network. He was going to sign up for tonight only, not for the next month. I don't think he's going to get an actual subscription to the network, because I have mine, so why bother? But um, he was going to sign up for Sunday night only, and I think he missed the show live, but he watched it last night on what platform I have no idea. Maybe he did watch it on the network. But um, you know, he was asking he was asking me how to sign up to the network because he wanted to watch what was gonna happen in the main event and he really liked it. He texted me yesterday, said he um uh, really enjoyed the main event, so that's great to see. So WWE did a great job in building up Survivor series or at least the main event as something special and it definitely came off that way. Especially given the debut of Sting um, at the end of the show. So I thought that was great. And I really look forward, like I said before, to TLC and also the road to WrestleMania and seeing where everything else unfolds going forward. So like I said earlier on in the show, coming up next, my candid conversation with my very good friend, John, at John Knapp 17 on the Twitter. We had a car ride home from the Northeast Wrestling event on November 14th, 2014. So only 10 days ago or so or uh, 14 days ago, or something fucking like that, I don't know, like two weeks ago, when I saw him um, on the car ride home from the Northeast Wrestling Show. We talk about that a little bit. We talk about our favorite years in wrestling history, best years and favorite years, um, WrestleMania 31 predictions, all this other kind of stuff. Always a blast to talk to John. So you're going to hear our car ride conversation coming up. It's not the best of quality. We are sitting, I was in the passenger seat, he was driving, and um, I just had the I had my phone right in between us, so it's not the greatest quality in the world, but you will still enjoy it nevertheless. And um, like I said before, hopefully we can get John back on in the show in person once again for one of these sit-down conversations, um, probably after TLC when I when I see him when I come home for Christmas break next month. But nevertheless, folks, enjoy the conversation. Here we go. We're live. Conduct an interview, Grant. Conduct an interview. Well, I'll ask you this. 
is we were talking about before, favorite Raws ever of all time. And that, that Raw after WrestleMania 30, in my opinion, I thought was awesome. And, in my, and, and, one, and it's one of my favorite Raws of all time. But uh, what uh, the other Raw that I was thinking of was that Raw... Remember eight days after Money in the Bank, when Punk came back, Morrison came back? You just stole my answer. <laughs> Not my favorite Raw of all time, but that's got to be honorable mention at least. It was on your DVR. That's how oh, great it was. Yeah, it was I, on your DVR I, for a long back, time. Back when I, I kept Monday Night Raw saved on my DVR, <laughs> I only saved my favorites. Meaning I saved April 2nd, 2012 when Lesnar returned. Great Raw. Oh, also an amazing Raw, yeah. I saved... Um, I saved... The Raw that I watched over your house a couple weeks after that, remember? After SummerSlam? Night after SummerSlam. Yeah, that that great that punk match. <laughs> yeah. That opening was uh, underrated, I thought, between R-Truth and John Morris. I oh, that was a great match, too, yeah. That was an awesome match. Yeah. But, yeah, so essentially I would say you know, my favorite Raws ever. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a gut feeling you get once the, once the three-hour mark hit. Yeah. Uh, back in 2011, once the two-hour mark hit, like, that Raw was great. I'm saving it. And, uh... That Raw that you just mentioned, eight days after running the bank, was definitely uh, up there in 2011. It's great, one of the greatest Raws of 2011. Potentially one of the greatest Raws of all time. So we're talking about 2011. And someone's asked me this. I've been asked this a couple times before, and I thought it's an interesting question. Because I've only been watching consistency, consi- consistently since 08, and you have been since 06, right? Yep. So what has been your, not the best year, there's a difference here. Not the best year since you started watching, but your favorite. My favorite. It could be a shitty ass year, but it could still be, you know, hold memories yeah. in your heart, you know what I mean? Memories in my heart. Um as far as memories in my heart, I'd have to go two thousand and seven. Okay. I thought was an, a, a phenomenal year. Your first full year, wasn't it? It was my first uh yeah. Two thousand six I started watching in April, so I was just shy of a full year. Yeah, yeah. Um but two thousand seven was my first full year watching as a fan. And when you look at what happened that year, it's I mean, WrestleMania twenty three, not the greatest solid card. It had a solid yeah, card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um things like the return of Chris Jericho. At the end of the year, yep. Yep. Uh, my favorite return of all time, I know I answered this, uh, or you and I might have talked about this. My favorite return of all time, Shawn Michaels the night after, uh, was what it? it no, no Mercy. No Mercy, yeah, when yeah. Randy Orton won the WWE Championship. Yeah, major. That was an amazing, that was probably, that was my biggest workout <laughs> moment of my entire life. Yeah. Uh, so you, you, you gotta figure that. You have D-Generation X in the beginning half of 2007. Uh, there were a lot of returns that year. Triple H even returned at SummerSlam after, oh my god. After his injury, sorry, we're driving, folks. Um, after his injury, he returned at SummerSlam to face Booker T. Um, just John Cena, uh, what did he do that year? John Cena held the title the entire freaking year. Batista and Undertaker had a great they series had, of matches had, over on SmackDown. That I'd year. say, honestly, since I've been watching, I don't know if it has been the greatest year. Definitely my favorite year as a fan, and it's a close favorite because I mean I really cherish 2012. As lame as uh, some of the content might have been, that was near and dear to my heart. And to be honest, 2014 has to take third place. Uh, between WrestleMania 30, uh, June 30th, 2014, the Raw, SummerSlam the too. Raw, you and I went to SummerSlam. Uh, just, I, I have to say 2014 is one of the better years that I've you know been watching wrestling. Favorite or better? One of the better years. I wouldn't. I, it's top top five or top three favorite. Yeah. But, uh, it's been, I mean, there are ups and downs. Any year has ups and oh, downs. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Benoit thing in, you know, 07, too. I mean, it's, 
there are a lot of memorable years. I'd say 2014 is a memorable year. Oh, absolutely. Whether you think it's good or bad, I think it was definitely memorable. 100%. And not the rise, the, just to go off of a tangent, the rise of Daniel Bryan, you know. 2014? Yeah. Lesnar yeah. breaking the streak. The split of the shield. Lesnar dominating Cena at SummerSlam. Just, are we talking the product? Or are we talking, like, I the mean, wrestling? Just, uh, Product as, like, product as a whole. I mean, there haven't been not not like other than like a couple few off matches in 2014. There haven't been a lot of five star classics. I mean, uh, things that come to my head are I really like Daniel Bryan Triple H opener at WrestleMania. Oh, great match! Um, yeah. Shield Wyatt Family Elimination Chamber. Yep. Uh, you gotta go Shield Evolution. Uh, I thought Extreme Rules. Oh, I thought the first one was better. I, I like uh, Extreme Rules. Both were great. great. I liked Payback though. I liked it. It was a very, it was a solid show. Especially yeah. the following events uh, on the night after Raw. Yeah, made it, made true. It a great payback. I mean, 2014. That even that four win. Remember the uh, the Arrival show. Remember oh, the yeah. one that you want? Not not Arrival. Uh, I watched Takeover. It was that the second one? Yeah. Takeover. Yep. That was a great show. Yep. Um, but no, 2014, whether whether you liked it or not, has been a memorable year, and it has had some solid product uh, since since the start of the year. With uh, how we finish uh, remains to be seen. Um, I'd like to think we're going to go off on a high note, but um, you never know. I mean, I think if we're talking product or company as a whole, I mean, if we're talking company, you can mention. Punk leaving, Ultimate Warrior dying, the network, the change of the logo, all this other stuff. So I think there's a lot of things that people will look back on this year for. The return of Batista oh, earlier yeah. this year, you know? The reuniting of Evolution. Just all a, this other stuff. It's a, a monumental year. Whether you like it or not, it's going to go down. Like It's a historic year, a yeah. A lot of people have their favorite years. A lot of, they're the, you know, the most historic years. You got like 98. You know, people, people love 2000, you know. Uh, but 2014 goes down in history. Down in history is one of the greats. I'd have to say 2011 I thought was also really and good. And I, I watched, oh, I asked GSM this or, uh, this past uh, edition of it, and I, I agreed with you. Um, I thought that 2011 had its ups. Um, oh, yeah, it definitely had its downs. Yeah. But it, it, was, it, was a, it was a fair fight between the ups and downs, I thought. Um, you said it was really... The oh, summer was made, what made it really, you, really good. You said it, it was near and dear to you. Not necessarily your favorite, but it was near and dear to you. Or yes. was that 2008? Um, 2011 was, right. yeah. And I, and Both I, for that, but more so 2011, yeah. I'd say that 2011 was my first year as a hardcore fan. I'd say that with confidence. Because I yeah. think 2006, I was, I was cheering Shawn Michaels because I thought he was cool. 2007, I mean, I was like... I was a John Cena fan until he beat Shawn Michaels, and then I said, forget Cena. Uh, 2008, uh, I mean, the fact that 2008, 2009, 2010 are kind of, uh... Blurry? They're blurry to me. And, I, I mean, don't don't get me wrong, I, I for all of those weeks, all 52 weeks of each of those years, I watched Raw. I watched every SmackDown. I never missed it. But, I mean, they, they kind of just blend together. I mean, I literally remember 2011, you and I having a conversation... And I could not remember what 2010 had in store. <laughs> and that was a year removed. I couldn't remember what 2010 yeah. was like. 2010 was all about the Nexus. That you, was it. You, you had to remind me, like, well, the Nexus was a big deal. Kane finally won a title. And had the good, rise had of the Miz, good, too. Yeah. Had a good run. Yeah. So, I mean, that was that was less than a year after. I was like, oh, that's what happened in 2010. Yeah. So, I mean, four years later, I'm like, ah, oh, what happened? But um, now with the WWE Network, you can go revisit all that. But... 
2011 was a great year. I would say it was my first year as a hardcore fan. Um, I remember you and I actually, we, we had like a, a hang, we were hanging out one night, and we actually went like pub puck golfing or something like that. And it was the first time you, you told me that CM Punk's contract was uh, beginning to expire. And you and I had a conversation like, what is he going to do? Is he going to leave? See, trying to remember that. Uh, we, we went to like some sporting uh, place that had like an arcade and stuff. It was your dad, my dad, Jackson, and you were telling me. Oh, wait a second. I think I do remember you that. You were telling yeah. me Punk's contract was uh, expiring. I was like, no way. Punk can't leave. But, I think uh, I do remember that. Yeah, that was 2011. So I'd say like that was my first year, you know, really like getting a mind for the business, really. Yeah, it was at the place with that crappy ass golf too. Yeah, it was like we, in the we, dark, we right? Played mini golf there. Yeah, but it was like in the dark and then a whole bunch of kids and they had laser tag too. It was, it was, it was terrible. Dark. It was very it was terrible. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I don't remember you talking about the punk thing. That but was, yeah, I remember that specifically. Yeah, because it was like in early June, so that was around yeah. the time they, they mentioned it. But yeah, I think 2011 for me had those memories was because it was like one of the first and only times as a fan, I was like I couldn't wait until the next week to tune in because that whole summer was amazing. From like June to August, like even the shows that I watched with you over at your house, you know, the pay per views I thought were great. The summer of eleven was one of the best. By yeah, far. with Punk and Cena and Orton and Christian, both feuds you can relive in WWE 2K15, by the way, which go to show how great both of them were. So I think that that's why that year to me was so special. I have to say, all of the years of this uh, second decade of the 21st century, minus 2013, have been substantial to me as a fan. Uh, I'd say 2000. If you're going to count 2010. Just get rid of 2010. Uh, but I'd say 2011, 2012, 2014 have been great years for me as a fan. But like I said, 2007 has to go down as the greatest uh, for myself. 2013, I didn't think it was terrible. I thought there was a lot of great in-ring wrestling. I think the MVPs of that year were The Shield in oh, their six years. The on, you know, that was the year of The Shield by Yeah, far. the six-man matches on Raw and SmackDown I mean, no, and whatever. The, the fact that the WWE got away with literally giving like the same matches away every week just like six minute tag six minute tag but they were enjoyable yeah exactly like really the Uso enjoyable. stuff you know recently now like the Usos and Goldust yeah, and Stardust have matched that, I got bored after like a week very stale like yeah. at, like after you know oh uh, on Raw, the Usos and Sheamus go against Stardust and Cesaro. Oh, on yep. SmackDown, the Usos and Ziggler <laughs> go against The Miz and Stardust and Goldust. So yeah. that, that stuff got old. But literally, in 2013, it was like, on Raw, we have Team Hell No and Randy Orton against The Shield. And on SmackDown, we're going to have the Usos and Christian. And it was it was just, I don't know, every week I was excited to see, oh, what spots is Roman Reigns going to hit this yep. week? What spots are uh, Seth Rollins going to hit? Is Seth Rollins going to hit this week? Oh, and Seth Rollins starts... You know, doing a full front flip over the top rope, landing on his feet. Roman Reigns starts getting more acrobatic, and it's just like you cherish every match. And that, I would say, along with, um, in your opinion, I guess, SummerSlam would be part of the height of 2013. Yeah, but, yeah, that's uh, great. There's a lot. There's a lot uh, to not enjoy about 2013, specifically the entire fall. Oh, the fall was horrendous. Yeah. Oh my gosh, but um. I remember you and I saw two pay-per-views in 2013 at Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, we went to Elimination Chamber at Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, we did see that together, we saw yeah. that in February, yep. on February 19th, and then we saw Survivor Series. So there are two ends in 2013, but um, I wasn't I wasn't really enchanted with Elimination Chamber. I don't know about you. Well, that was around the time that we were building towards WrestleMania, and that was when we had no clear direction for that show whatsoever, no aside knew. from Cena no and Punk, knew. or Cena and Rock, and we didn't even know if that was happening. With all the stuff that happened with uh, Punk, you know? And Taker didn't return until like a month before the show. Gosh. And um, 
Del Rio and Swagger was the only confirmed match, and that didn't intrigue me at all. It didn't intrigue anyone. No. Who, Del Rio, by the way, will be at the next NEW event here in Danbury, Connecticut. Which is where we are driving from right now. Yeah, great show. Awesome show. We just witnessed a great main event between Evan Bourne, now known as Matt Seidel, AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, and the NEW champion, Matt Taven. It was a great match. A lot, of, As you can imagine, a lot of great spots were hit. ROH talent, all three of them, too. And, I mean, you would, you would expect nothing less from three amazing wrestlers. But, uh, yeah, it was a fun night overall, especially we, with the inclusion of Booker T. We got... <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Bully Ray, Bully Ray. Bully Ray. Booker T had to withdraw <laughs> yeah. for, uh, for reasons not yet uh, determined. He, he had to do something with WWE, I, I think it was. I imagine. I imagine yeah. he had something. But, oh, green light. Um, uh, what's, um, but we, all, we had the opportunity to meet AJ Styles on more than one occasion. Bully Ray, we got to talk to. Uh, At the end of the Matt Seidel was great, dude. Matt, Evan Bourne was uh, Matt Seidel. I'm sorry, Evan Bourne. Either or, it's okay. Formerly known as uh, Evan Bourne. You know him as Bourne for like six, seven years. Yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to it's hard to wean off Evan yeah, Bourne. It's hard to but let go. He was he was hilarious. He was a great guy. <laughs> he act, he was one of the only talents who, after the match, stuck around to take pictures with everyone who asked for free. For free, no. Taven did it for money in the ring. I'm not yeah. nothing nothing against Taven. Taven's a great hand. He He's a great hand of the oh, absolutely! But Seidel's the bigger name. He's more recognizable, and he stayed afterwards to take pictures with every single fan. You know? So yeah, it no, it was it was it was really an awesome, awesome moment. And I like the reborn stuff too. He's got a new look. He's got a new. I mean, not technically a new name because it's his real name, and he's used that before on the yeah, A scene. Right. We but, were actually um, surprised to see how short in stature he was. I mean, great, great worker, but. Uh, just oh yeah! It was surprising because we we towered over. Uh, yeah, I mean he looks a lot taller in uh, uh, the show. Yeah, he adds a couple inches, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, but no, it was a great show. Uh, NEW is just a great promotion. Um, a lot of great talent from TNA, ROH, even some uh, not non in ring WWE guys make their way down there. But I uh, love NEW. Been going there for years. Great promotion. Five and a half years. Oh my it's God. crazy, the, dude. The, the, the names of people that you and I have been afforded the opportunity to meet because oh. of that company. For not, for not so much money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's great because, I mean, normally you got to go to you got to go to Raw's and you got to go to SmackDown's to see these guys. But yeah. when you can see them in the comfort of like a high school gym or, you know. Oh, uh, that personal or connection. Or recreational center. It's, it's, it's just, it's good fun. It's, it's a night of wrestling that wrestling fans enjoy more so than sports entertainment fans. I mean, if you're going there for all the theatrics, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not really like that. If you're fo- if you follow the promotion uh, very religiously, you might, you might understand the storylines. But honestly, you go there for a good night of wrestling. Yeah, you go it's a family friendly thing oh, too. Yeah, definitely. But uh, it's just, it's just great that these guys, you know, come down there and they're and they're all nice guys. I mean, Bully Ray seemed a little hard. He seemed like a hard ass. But uh, they're all nice guys. They're all just they, they know that you know this is the fans' best opportunity to meet them, and uh, they're excited to meet them too. Yeah, all the talents are great. We got to see Angle tonight. Kurt Angle. Ray. Oh my goodness! Kurt. How, how can I forget Kurt Angle? Kurt Angle is an awesome individual, guys. Great guy. He came out. He, he actually to Graham and my uh, to our delight. Uh, he came out to the. Uh, the classic angle music. <laughs> Brand, if you will give me a sound bite of the classic angle music. Give me a sound bite, Graham. Dun, 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 dun. No, I thought you wanted me to edit it in or something oh, like no, that. I can't do it right now. All right, but. well, we're going to cut that out and put the sound bite in. Um, but we were hoping for a little CM Punk here because remember, <laughs> we made that out that dream scenario. Along with Ryback and Rusev, which did come true to your delight. Oh, hopefully. 
Because uh, you, you made that yourself. Some Linda McMahon action might have been fun, too, <laughs> if we saw her come out tonight. Maybe uh, some Ben Wommies or something, oh I don't gosh. know. But, see that... And just... Oh, da -na 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 -na. Punk's on the NDC. <laughs> He's on the NDC. It's Phil Brooks. It's MC Punk. Why did MC Kevin Nash call him a short-hand cook at the Waffle House? <laughs> yeah. And Always slick back hair or something and, like that. And, yeah. An indie star. Yeah, indie-rific. Oh, indie-rific. Indie and I didn't know what that meant at the time. Kevin, I didn't watch indie wrestling. Ken, Kevin Nash is such a ball breaker. <laughs> Only Kevin Nash would cut a promo on CM Punk in which half the audience had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the, the audience didn't react to All of these that. fourth wall terms, like indie-rific. And, yeah. Oh, my gosh. But that is actually the Raw in which we started the program talking about as one of our, one of our favorite Raws. So, you know, we all, we've come full circle here. Kevin Nash, the same, or, yeah, the same man who called Eddie Guerrero a vanilla midget. Oh, my God. It's 2011, Kevin. It's not 1994, <laughs> Kevin Nash. Why don't we go back to 1996 when Scott Hall and I... Broke in the business and revolutionized wrestling with the New World Order. Whatever else. It was It was great. It was, it was a great it was, night. It was a great segment. And I love that you and I could just, just talk wrestling whenever about whatever. And we just, we always come up with new stuff to talk about. So Right turn ahead. Oh, right turn ahead, guys. <laughs> uh, so, I want to address another topic. I know that you were a little skeptical to address on the Ask GSM edition. Okay, um, okay. I asked this question. But we can I, talk about it now if you want. I think the fans have been waiting long enough to hear your answer. What is your favorite WCW okay. or WWE pop of all time? For those of you who don't know what pop is, it's the reaction that the audience makes when they witness something as, a, as in a return of a great superstar or, you know, a championship victory. You know, just the overall reaction of the fans. I'd like to get Graham's opinion on what his favorite pop of all time is. Well, I thought you were going to ask me the other question oh, that I, I neglected to answer. Was that not the question? That was the question. Well, that ain't, I, I technically did answer that question, but the other one, I think they sent in the following video. It was the... Uh, what was oh, your WrestleMania oh, 31 so, dream card? I'm so sorry. No, no, we'll talk about the other one. I I'm apologize. Just saying. I apologize, guys. Did, you, you said The Rock was your favorite. For um, that one, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, um, I think, I don't know, was it The Rock? It was either you Rock said, you or said Brock. The Rock, yeah. You said The Rock, you guys Yeah, it must have been Rock then, yeah. Because um, Brock's up there, too. But, now that we can discuss this, what is your ideal, sharp turn, guys, ideal <laughs> uh, WrestleMania 31 card? So, like I said, I didn't really want to answer it on the show, because I think at some point, um, we're going to be having someone else on WrestleRant Radio. Maybe, probably even yourself, we'll probably have you back on, so we can talk about it on the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the Tuesday after TLC. Okay. And I don't know when this is going up. This might be already up by then. It might not be. I'm not sure to talk about this, because I think TLC, I know Royal Rumble officially kicks it off. But by the night after the Rumble, you know what the card is by that point. Sure. At least, yeah, by this point, it's like, it's only speculation. We're close enough where we can make, a, you know, we can assume what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about this right now. And I'll ask you first, what do you think the main event's going to be? Honestly? At this point in time. And this is mid-November while we're recording this. I'm, I'm biting my foot. Because I was expecting you to jump the gun and tell me your... Um, your answer to what your ideal card was, but honestly, it's just too early to determine. But I'm not going to give you a cop-out answer. I'm going to speculate. I'm going to try. I would say that, given more preparation, 
more practice, uh, more time to get over, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar should headline the event. That is to say that Lesnar does negotiate a contract with WWE and does not drop the title to Cena at the Royal Rumble. Um, that That is also an assumption there, guys. That's not a spoiler. I'm, I'm assuming because Cena won a future title shot, it's going to happen at the Rumble. Um, but that's assuming that uh, Cena doesn't win the title at the Rumble and, because then the card completely switches and he'll be healing there. Um, but I'd like to see Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar just, uh, just because I don't want to see Lesnar drop the title before Mania. And I don't know of anyone that can go one-on-one -on -one with Lesnar other than Roman Reigns. Um, so that, realistically, that would be my preferred main event of the card. Now, that main event alone wouldn't be enough to sell tickets uh, in reality. Uh, they, they, they need the big name, they need the drawing power, and Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar just isn't it at yeah. this moment. Yep. So I could see them doing a dual main event kind of deal, um, maybe get Triple H involved, uh, but, uh, you know, something's got to happen between now and then before we get Lesnar Reigns. I think that's that, that can be Lesnar's last match for a while, you know, yeah, getting beat by Reigns. That's, all, that's a talk for another day, though. Um, I'd like to see Triple H uh, not on the card. You and I talked about this. Um, we, earlier today, we were talking about whether uh, Triple H might uh, have the opportunity to go uh, up against Roman Reigns, uh, if not at WrestleMania, before WrestleMania. And it's not looking like they'll have the opportunity to do that before WrestleMania. So Graham said that he'd like to see Roman Reigns versus Triple H at WrestleMania. And I said, that that song reminded me too much of the song we listened to last year in Daniel Bryan versus Triple H. Because essentially, it's the same kind of deal. Roman Reigns is unhappy with his tyrannical boss, so he's going to go up against Triple H and uh, try and vanquish him, which is exactly what Daniel Bryan did last year. So I would, I would not like to see Triple H versus Roman Reigns. Uh, if Batista were to return, I wouldn't complain about a Batista-Triple H match, given more uh, storyline time. No, uh, obviously Batista would have to come back and have a specific gripe with Triple H. Um, but honestly, it's really too early to tell. And I'd really like to be a part of the TLC podcast or live radio uh, show that you do to um, really, once once TLC is over, we'll know, uh, we'll have a better idea of what's going to happen at WrestleMania 31. But right now, I can say that I'd really like to see Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns. And I know... And a lot of people are probably giving me heat because I said earlier in the summer that uh, I uh, didn't want to see that match. I didn't think Reigns was ready, but I didn't know that Reigns was going to be injured. And we all know what happens when someone gets injured. Uh, they come back ten times better, uh, historically. Um, so, given the fact that Roman Reigns has the ability to come back and literally blow the roof off the WWE, break through the glass ceiling, grab the brass ring, just become the guy... I think that it's his time at WrestleMania 31 to take the title off Brock Lesnar. And then hopefully somewhere after that, he can uh, drop the title on my boy Daniel Bryan, who never lost it. But uh, that, that's, that's all I have to say about WrestleMania 31. Well, fun fact about Daniel Bryan, because he said he never lost it, right? If you think about it, the combined time that Daniel Bryan has lost a, champ like a world championship comes out to maybe two minutes. If you think about it, the 18 seconds when he I lost the world title. I wrestled in 28. When he won the WWE title, SummerSlam. Okay, and then lost the right after. Yeah, like two minutes, yeah. 
Third time when he won it back in Edith Champions, vacated it immediately. So there was never really a match at all. Oh, my goodness. And the last one also vacated it. So combined time, maybe two minutes and 18 seconds. So can we go as far as to say... That's four world title reigns, by the way. Can we go as far as to say that he's never cleanly lost a title? I mean, <laughs> yep, right. nope. You can, you can make a bid for Sheamus, but I mean, AJ Lee was the uh, distraction that caused that. You got Triple H turning on him at, at SummerSlam. You got the, vaca- the vacation after uh, um, the champions. champions, and then he, he dropped it. Uh, after, vacated it again, yeah. After extreme rules. Yep. So Dale Bryan has never completely lost a world title, and that is great. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's what makes him great, yeah. He is by far my favorite wrestler at the moment. Uh, I, I miss him dearly. It's under contract. Oh, yeah. We're not I, talking about like injured or not injured because as we record this, he's still out. I think that um, pro- uh, as far as you know, his character, what he brings to the product, he's he's the best at what he's doing right now. And uh, I'm not I'm not a huge Daniel Bryan fan. Of the fact that I, I didn't follow his, uh, his indie career, um, but you know, ever since I want to say ever since uh, early just ever since Team Hell No, really. I've been way behind Daniel Bryan, supporting him 100%. So I uh, definitely can't wait for Daniel Bryan to get back. I'm not going to say I've been a fan of Daniel Bryan since the Indies, because I didn't even know he existed at that point. But I think I, I think I can speak for you as well, and then I think I, I also got started getting behind him around that point, like heavily behind After him. 800 yards, but take um, exit right I think it was around right. the time that uh, in 2010 when we met him. I think was the time that I became a fan of his. That was, now, like he wasn't my favorite wrestler, but I think when I met him, I'm thinking, this guy is pretty cool. That was a very cool moment. That and when he won the U.S. title at Night of Champions, because I think that that year in 2010, Night of Champions was the second pay-per-view I ever ordered, oh, and really? to see him, yeah, and to see him win that U.S. title for Miz, in which I thought was a very underrated match. It's very cool. Yeah, so I'd have to go back to then, but um, go back to the original question here. WrestleMania 31. I'm going to have to go back and watch our video that we did. Okay. Um, hashtag AskGSM back in late August. The same night as the horrendous Raw. August 25th. <laughs> the worst Raw ever. But, um... Because I'm sure we probably answered some WrestleMania 31 questions around them, too. So I'm going to have to go back and watch it. Because around that time, remember, that was that day that we read a report that Daniel Bryan's going to be back in November. I, I, I thought that he was going to be uh, on the tour. On the, uh, yeah, on the England tour, which England, they are on right which now. Which they're currently on. Yeah, as we record this, and, ironically um, enough. Of course, then I didn't know that uh, he was going to be having a second surgery and that it's questionable whether he'll ever wrestle again. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's not looking like he'll be back. This is just from stuff that I've read and you know, being a smart fan. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be back before Mania. And honestly, I, you and I talk about this. I, I want him to, you know, recover fully so that he can be comfortable getting back in the ring. Because uh, you know, it would be a, it would be a crying shame if he were to never walk back into the ring. Um, he's a great hand, and I think that uh, he, he has such a great run ahead of him that he, he just never fully reached. Like imagine if never he, scratched the surface. Imagine yeah. if he held the title to SummerSlam. Like he. And totally faced Lesnar. There's yeah. just so much stuff you could do with Daniel Bryan, and I mean, yeah, he was just re- he was just reaching his peak. Exactly. So, no, yeah, I don't think he's gonna retire. Someone asked me that. I don't, I don't think he's gonna retire. But um, yeah, I don't expect him to be back until Wrestle- before WrestleMania. 
I think if he is ready before WrestleMania, like Batista was, it's kind of similar to that situation. Just Batista got injured, and this is kind of different, but he got injured in like late 2008, and I think he was medically cleared to go by the spring. He wanted to go after... Yeah, they didn't want to bring him back. Well, I, I think the original plan was to do Cena Batista 2 at WrestleMania 25, which that, would have been that, miles that better. That would have been the first Cena Batista. Or second, because they did their first one at SummerSlam. All right, so, and, oh, wait. so you're saying that Cena Batista 2 would be... At WrestleMania 25. And I don't know if they want to turn one of them heel or whatever, but I think they were going to do it over the World Heavyweight title, which is why they had Cena win it back and all that other stuff. But, um, and then they had him come back because it was too late to bring him back by late March or whatever. Yeah. So they brought him back the night after WrestleMania. So Daniel Bryan, who has made a living off the night after WrestleMania, may I mind you, because the Yes Chance were born after WrestleMania 28, that, yep. the night after. Two years later, for his first night as WWE World Heavyweight Champion, um, the, the fans going crazy for him. You deserve it. So it's that crowd that always loves Daniel Bryan, which is what he's known for. So he can return that night. Um, the night after WrestleMania 31, so that's what I'm looking at, but you made your point before about Roman Reigns and Triple H, a match that I would love to see at WrestleMania, but like you said, there's no one else that makes sense as a logical opponent for Brock Lesnar, so I would have to go with Roman Reigns, but that's what I have to say for right now, Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns is what I see in WrestleMania, I know that's not saying much, but uh, like I said, hopefully after TLC, we can have you on again and we can talk more about... WrestleMania 31 match predictions, so... Definitely. As we speak, we are arriving at John's residence and hopefully going to go continue watching WWE Network to finish off this fabulous night, so... John, thank you for joining me, and I'll thank talk to you, you soon. Thank you for having me, Graham. No problem. I'll catch you down the road. All right, that's going to do it for my conversation with John for today. Like I said before, hopefully we can get him back on the show next month. When I'm home for Christmas break, we can sit down and have another candid conversation about all things wrestling, maybe talk about WrestleMania 31 in a bit more in-depth. Um, we were not able to do it on this edition, if only because of time constraints. We had just got to his house and we started talking about it. So hopefully next time we can pick the brain of John a little bit more. And like I said before, you can follow him on the Twitter at JohnNapp17. You can follow me on Twitter at WrestleRant. Facebook, Graham Justin Matthews. YouTube, same thing. Bleacher Report, same thing. Articles going up all the time. Also for What Culture, their WWE section. New article coming up this week. The top 10 worst acting performances of all time. So make sure to check that out on that website. But um, I failed to mention this earlier on in the show. But like I said, I was going to hopefully get into my thoughts on, on TNA's New Deal with Destination America. I was not able to. Um, spent too much time talking about Survivor Series. That's more important anyway. But... Great to see TNA land a TV deal, even though it's on a channel that I do not get. I'll probably have to watch it off a website. I'm not going to stop watching TNA forever, but um, I will miss watching it on Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, whatever it's going to be airing on their new network. But um, regardless, though, it's great to see them still alive on a network. Starting in 2015, there will be no first-run programming for TNA for the remainder of 2014. There is not a set date yet for their first uh, for their first set of tapings, and I'm hoping it's going to be in January at the Hammerstein Ballroom or the in the Manhattan Center in New York, which I went to the August tapings. So since I'll be on um, I'll, I'll be on winter break at that point in time, I will be home. So I would love to go to one of their shows in January with John if we can make the trip. But still, though, it's going to be great to see them back on TV, even though I will un be able to, unable to watch it on that channel. I'll probably find it online somewhere, but. Uh, Great to see them still kicking with their new TV deal. And also, be sure to check out the new Uso special on the WWE Network. Checked it out after uh, Raw last night. And um, it's only about 30 minutes. I thought it'd be a little longer than that. But for the time, it, for, the, for what it was, for while it lasted, I thought it was pretty good. Um, they got into the relationship with their uh, very close 
uncle Umaga, who passed away almost exactly five years ago. So um, very touching stuff there. So make sure you check that out. They also get into their um, capturing of the WWE Tag Team titles earlier this year, their start, how they got into wrestling, their father Rikishi, their future, all this other stuff. I thought it was a pretty good special. As an Usos fan myself, I thought it was very enjoyable. So if you have the time, if you've got 30 minutes to spare, go out of your way, check out the special on the Usos right now on the WWE Network. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of Wrestle Rant Radio. Like I said before, folks, thanks for bearing with us through this recorded edition of Wrestle Rant Radio. We'll be back to being live next week and the week after. I think the week after that, Wrestle Rant Radio, that Tuesday that it falls on, I think the 17th or the 16th, I think, I think it is, um, SmackDown is having a live special on Sci-Fi, or I think it's USA Network. So, um... So we will not be going live that night. We'll probably oh, we'll probably re, uh, pre-record a show either on the Monday, earlier that Tuesday, talking about TLC and all that other stuff. But we will have two more live shows next Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time. Make sure to join us on live365.com backslash stations backslash ECTV73. And also, like you're listening to this show, you can also check out all the archived editions dating back to the very first show in October of 2013 right here on nexterawrestling.weebly.com. Check out shows, check out WrestleRant Radio, go to the archive, the archive section of the website, and you can listen to all the archived editions of Wrestle. Rant Radio. So in the meantime and in between time, folks, make sure to have a great Thanksgiving week. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch you guys next week. 